Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Uh, We have been going through Ephesians as a church. This is week four, and we are in chapter four. Um, First week, Ephesians one, we were reminded that the church is God's. And through Christ, we've been brought into community with each other. In Ephesians 2, we saw how we are a diverse body brought together by Christ, bringing down the dividing wall of hostility between us. In Ephesians 3, we are told that the church is God's eternal plan to make himself known throughout the cosmos. In other words, beyond here into the heavenly realms. And as such, the church has a mission to proclaim Christ everywhere to everyone. This week, we are in Ephesians 4. And Ephesians 4 covers a lot of ground, and we will not be able to touch on nearly all of it. And so this is where I begin to bug you about being a part of our small groups. Um, If you want to go into greater depth in Ephesians, um, our small groups that are meeting online at the moment are studying Ephesians together. And that's an opportunity to go a little bit deeper, maybe cover some of the the passages that we're not covering on Sunday mornings. So we would be glad, glad for you to join us there. There are two aspects of church life that surface in this chapter that need our attention. One is membership, and the other is leadership. When we began this series on the church, we talked about uh, the, the body, the human body, and how it, if you are dormant, if you don't use your body, your muscles begin to to weaken or atrophy. Uh, You lose your muscle mass, right? Uh, And so your body doesn't function the way way it ought to. Um, And and that that can be really hard. And I gave the explanation of my my father who had been hospitalized for three months and then had to relearn to walk again. Um, So every member of the body, every body part is integral in the whole body functioning well. The church has been a little bit like that over the last couple of years. We're thankful for technology that has allowed us to be able to meet online. But there are some aspects of church life that we just cannot um, duplicate in an online experience. The casual conversations with one another, catching up, getting to know each other. That means if you're not able to have those casual conversations, you can't go deeper in those relationships. 
when we drop to the, the bare essential activities, that means there are parts of our body life that are not functioning as well. So our goal is to rebuild our church body. So you can think of this as a workout. This is gym time right now. Hopefully not a sweat or smell. So today we're going to work through Ephesians 4. We'll be working primarily out of a few verses from the chapter and then working out uh, church membership and leadership drawing from this. So let me read verses 1 through 16 and then we will uh, talk through membership and leadership. Therefore, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the home to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he, is, he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and welled together, held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in life. This is the word. Again, you see Paul's long, very long sentences with lots of comments. Makes it a little bit harder to read. Membership. Equipped and edified. The very last verse we read, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in Imagine if, when I was a teenager, I approached my parents and I say, Hey parents, mom, dad, I'm shopping around for different families. I'm looking for a family with a large TV, preferably a swimming pool, 
parents that never discipline me. And it would be best if I had a dad that didn't tell dad jokes. Which, for the record, is hypocritical because I tell dad jokes. I mean, it's unthinkable, right? I mean, it's laughable that we would do this. Um, and my, my list of wants, it's not a good list. Those are not the things that will help develop me as a better person. Or create a safe space for a kid to, to be who he needs to be without, you know, the masks that a kid sometimes needs to put on in another places. It can be easy to approach the church in the same way. I want upbeat music. A preacher who is funny. Sorry about that. And a kids program that I don't have to help with. I can just drop my kids off at. We live in an age of choices. And it's good in many ways. But it can subtly change our mindset to think about what we, what I want, what my demands are. Membership is a tricky topic. And when we talk about membership, we sometimes think about other types of membership in our world, like club membership, bank membership, gym membership. And that becomes a focus on what are the benefits? What's the interest rate of the bank? Um, what does the club get, get me in terms of, of activities or status? Will the gym really make me fit and skinny. I've heard of Christians speak about the church in the same way. They speak about church membership like this. They go around church shopping. One person might be looking for a beautiful sanctuary in which to worship. High church music, intelligent preaching. Another person might be looking for preaching with, with good stories and a really robust children's program. Another person might be simply looking for a spouse in singles ministry. And the truth is we all do this in some measure. We all bring a consumeristic mindset into our church life. We choose a place to live in the same way. We choose a home plan like this. We choose our gym based on this. We've been conditioned by the world to think about choices and our personal desires and go from there. But this isn't the way the Bible speaks of church, of church membership. The Bible uses images to help us understand what the church is supposed to be. Uh, and two of these really common ones that we're going to talk about this morning are family and body. Both of these help us understand membership uh, a little bit in a little bit more detail. In Ephesians 2.19, it says that we are members of the household of God. In other words, family. The church is like a family. And when we are members of a family, we don't choose our own. Especially not based on a benefits package. Family member, members carry responsibility to serve each other, to care for each other. Family members um, do not sacrifice because of what they can gain. They sacrifice because 
That's their prayer. The other image that is used in, in Ephesians and throughout the New Testament is the body. Uh, we are each to be members of the body. Ephesians 4.16 describes the whole body as functioning best when all of the body parts are equipped and working properly. About, I don't know, when three months ago, I started to feel a growing pain in my right shoulder. And I didn't know what happened. We had just moved. Maybe I lifted something and it did something. I maybe I slept on it wrong. I didn't know. I, I went to the doctor, got it tested. I was afraid something was ripped. It just got worse and worse. So they, they checked and they said, no, nothing's torn, but it's all inflamed. And so it's something called frozen shoulder. Um, but what that meant is I was scared that something was torn. I didn't use my arm, my right arm, for a whole lot for a couple of months. And it got worse and worse. In the same way, I, my not using my, my arm meant my arm got worse, um, even though there would be pain in using my arm. And then you start to realize all of the things that you need your a functioning arm for, right? I'm left-handed, so there at least is that. But um, yeah, I mean, like, have you? If you have one arm not working well, try taking, putting on a t-shirt, or taking off a t-shirt, or putting on a belt. Those are hard tasks. Let me tell you. But then you suddenly become aware about how important each body part is. And that's what this image is intended to convey, what Paul is trying to, to say to the church, that every member of the church is important for church life. There are some people that you maybe see up in the front, but there are so many more people doing things every week in small group, in serving in different ways, in preparing for our time together. All are contributing in vital, vital ways. Romans 12, 3 through 5 adds more to this idea of membership of the body. It says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. One, and when we think about the church, one of the things that we need to start with is humility. Um, it says to not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. The world pushes us to think in the opposite direction, to think about me first. Paul urges us to think of ourselves as part of something else more significant. We are members of one another. There's a mutuality to the Christian life if we call ourselves Christian, we are then immediately merging our lives with the lives of other Christians. 
It is what it means to be a Christian. And we join to, we are being joined together as the body of Christ. Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 12 talk about gifts that each believer has that are given to them by the Holy Spirit. If you have placed your faith in Christ, then you have been given gifts by God that are for the church. Here in Ephesians, we're told of apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers. Spiritual gifts such as administration, hospitality, acts of mercy, exhortation are also mentioned in um, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, um, 1 Peter 4. We all have spiritual gifts, those of us who are in Christ. And some, some of us may not know what we have. Or maybe we know, but we don't know how to use them. So here are a few thoughts really quickly regarding spiritual gifts. Uh, this isn't all there is to say on the topic, but for the sake of time this morning, just cover this briefly. There's not a set list of spiritual gifts. Each time they're listed in the New Testament, they differ. The list differs. Uh, we determine our gifts through our interactions with one another. You can go online and find these spiritual gift test type things. Ah, I don't know that they're that helpful. It's more fruitful to get around brothers and sisters in Christ who know you well, who can help you understand where, where your gifts are. Related to, to spiritual gifts, the question is less about what your gifts are and more about how you're using them. How are you using your spiritual gifts? These gifts are not for your own sake. Our spiritual gifts are to be used for the sake of the church. Now there's a little bit of a, a, a little caveat there. Some gifts are used within the church, like teaching, administration, leadership. There are other gifts that are also used for the church, but they may be used for the mission of the church. Evangelism, acts of mercy, apostleship. My, my wife tends to operate with those spiritual gifts. <clears throat> and so sometimes when she's in a church setting where they, they say, that it sounds like the, the person up here is saying, you always need to be in the church to use your spiritual gifts. That's she gets a little frustrated because um, her natural impulse is to go out and to, to reach out, to love people well outside the, the walls of the church. And that also is for the church. Spiritual gifts are God's gift to the church. When we neglect our gifts or use them for our own purposes, we are in essence abusing the gifts that have been given to us. So let's now take that back into our discussion about church membership. So to think rightly about church life, we might need to adjust our thinking a little bit. The church is not an event or a service. It's not something to be consumed or watched. It's not merely an emotional experience 
or an intellectual experience. The descriptions of the church in the New Testament are very much participatory. We see Christians meeting together in the New Testament, praying for one another, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, uh, teaching together, sharing what they have with each other. In some ways, it's more like a, a sports team or an orchestra. We are all either on that team or in that orchestra. We are not, none are intended to be the spectators, those in the stands watching. Harvest KL has seen a lot of people coming and going over the years. It's the nature of being a church in a global city, and particularly in a part of the city that has a lot of people coming and going. As such, church membership has been hard to maintain. And so one of the things we're going to do as a church in the next few weeks is kind of overhaul our church membership. Some of you have already made a commitment to, to church membership. And we're thankful for that. Others of you have been heavily involved for a long time but have never become members. We just really want to walk through membership renewal for all of us. And this is for a few reasons, and I'll list those quickly. The last two years have been hard on the church everywhere, really, including Harvest. Harvest has seen a lot of transition. Um, and um, because it hasn't been able to meet together, renewed church membership can help us know who is committed now at this, at this point. During this time of transition, there have been some changes in the way Harvest is organized. Miles mentioned last week, we're essentially a volunteer-led church at this point. We don't have a senior pastor. Um, we've had some other changes in staffing. And so as a church, we'll lean more heavily on the congregation, on the membership of the church. Church members will have we want the church members to have more say in the activities of the church, critical decisions of the church. This ensures that we, as the body of Christ, are accountable to each other. Having renewed membership will help us know who we have in our family so that we can more intentionally draw from all the gifts that God has blessed us with together. Our goal in this is that we will become better, better members of one another. Okay, let's, let's pivot now to talk about leadership. Another important aspect of, of church life is that's addressed in this passage, kind of, is leadership in the church. And quite honestly, we, we can very quickly make a lot of assumptions about what leadership in the church should be like. And this is for a lot of reasons. Sometimes we, we import leadership culture from the workplace, the marketplace. Uh, sometimes we can assume it takes on the shape of what it looks like in government or maybe cultural norms in how leadership is done. 
in any one of our cultures takes up, uh, gives us assumptions about what leadership should be like. But to be honest, most of the, the world's examples of leadership, whether from the corporate world, government, or any of our cultural backgrounds, goes against the biblical understanding of leadership. Let's read from Ephesians 4, 11 to 14. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Since our time is limited this morning, we will not be able to cover this topic as much as it needs to be. But I do want to briefly cover the why of leadership and the who of leadership. And another time to talk about the how of leadership. First, the why of leadership. According to this passage, Paul lists the people he has given to the church to provide leadership. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And we're told why. To equip all the saints, which is the members of the church, disciples of Christ, for the work of the ministry. Now this, this is important. Sometimes there's an assumption that we hire a pastor and the pastor does the ministry. And we come and, and once a week, um, you know, perhaps tie to, to, you know, pay for the goods and services, the religious goods and services kind of a thing. That's not what this pastor says. It says that the leaders are to equip the church to do the ministry. In other words, we as the whole church do the ministry of the church. It's a, it's a different way of thinking about it. One that is not always put into practice. Sometimes when someone is sick, the expectation is that the paid pastor do the visitation and pray. Sometimes there's even an, an assumption that the pastor has somehow more effective prayers than the other members. Church, I want to say to you that that's not Christianity. That that's, that's sourced in other belief systems that we accidentally imported in. Sometimes we um, Expect, you know, maybe we have a friend and we want to hear the gospel. And we bring them to the pastor so they can hear the gospel. It's the same thing. Um, if you have had an experience with Christ, if you know Christ, then you have access to the creator God 
in the same way that Pastor does. You can pray for your sick family member, your sick friend, your sick church member. You can, if you have experienced Christ, you can introduce others to Christ. Any Christian can pray for another Christian. Anyone who knows Christ can tell someone about Christ. There's another reason in this passage that Paul gives for church leadership. In verse 14, he says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Discipleship is not something that is only in Christianity. The world is trying to disciple you. If you are, uh, I'm not, I don't want to get into a debate whether you're Team Samsung or Team Apple, but both of them, they want to disciple you. They want your full loyalty. They want you to get every one of their products and do nothing but use their products until you wear them out and buy more of their products. Facebook wants your full devotion. They intentionally create algorithms that try to keep you scroll, that you stay on there as long as possible so they can sell more advertising space. The world is trying to disciple you. Everyone wants a piece of you, but they never just want a piece of you. And so we need to be diligent to help each other keep from being tossed to and fro. Leaders in the church are charged with greater responsibility in this area. The leaders in the church have a responsibility to ensure the teaching and the doctrine of the church are biblically sound and edifying to the body. So now let's come to the who of leadership. Who leads the church? You've probably heard many terms used for uh, church leaders. Pastor, priest, bishop, elder, apostle, and maybe other terms, maybe some I've never even heard of. I don't make sense of this. What does the Bible say? So we can only be really brief here. So I'm going to try to go quickly. So fasten your seatbelt. The Bible has a primary category for the church, the main leader in the church, or main leaders in the church. The early church had elders who were in this role of overseeing in the church. The word used for overseer is where we get the word that became the word bishop. And that's where we got the word bishop. Uh, the word pastor is used in this Ephesians passage. And it literally means shepherd. Calling on this imagery of a flock and someone caring for the flock. It's actually only used here in this way, only in this passage of Ephesians. In Acts, we see Paul bidding farewell to the elders in Ephesus. And then he uses shepherd language as well as overseer language. So you can see it up here. So you see the elders, uh, that's the, I, I put the Greek here just so you can get an idea of how we got some of our words. So Presbyteros, that's where uh, Presbyterian got its name, right? 
And then pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, poinio, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episcopus, that's where we get the word episcopalian or episcopal, uh, which is also where bishop came from, to care for poinio. So to care for, that's to shepherd the flock, poinio. All right, nerd session is over. My, my point is simply this. There are these three words, pastor, overseer, and elder. And in the New Testament, they are used interchangeably for the same office, same role. In Harvest, uh, Dan and Gupreet are currently serving as elders, as pastors. I don't know, they might wing them out to be called pastor because we've taken on different language with the word pastor than we have with elder. But in the New Testament, they are the same thing. What makes this a little bit complicated is sometimes in church culture, we've come to call anyone in ministry whatsoever pastor, pastor saints. And it's meant to be uh, just a, a sign of respect, right? Um, but it can be a little confusing. You know, if you are a pastor, what is the flock that you pastor? So here are just a few things about elders as we begin to think about elders. And so where I'm going with this in the big picture with harvest is as we develop church membership, our church membership will have a part in choosing elders going forward. And so we want to be in this process of developing leaders in our church. So here are a few thoughts regarding elders in the Bible. And at, at some point, if these things cause questions for you and you want to talk further, I'm glad to just, If you want to come find me after the church, after the church service, or uh, write an email to me, feel free to do so. Elders are to oversee and equip the church for ministry, not to do the ministry of the church. And they will participate with the rest of the church in doing the ministry. It doesn't mean like they just sit back and watch everyone get to work, people. Uh, I don't mean to communicate that. What I mean is they work in the, the ministry of the church alongside the rest of the church. Churches are, uh, sorry, churches. Elders are to be chosen based on character. Aaron read from Exodus 18 earlier, and you saw the same thing in that passage um, when Jethro was telling, telling Moses about, or they're working on choosing leaders. It was character, fear of God, that was of most importance, the greatest importance for them. In other words, we want elders who have who are godly and exhibit character of godliness, not chosen because they are good businessmen or that they have high status in the community. Elders are part of the congregation. They're not separate, they're not in a spirit, separate spiritual class or status. Elders are 
sinners saved by grace and need your prayer. They are not perfect and they are not always right. And so that means that in a loving way that there are times when they are to be held accountable to the congregation. First Timothy 5 makes it clear that elders are to be subject to be are subject to be confronted about their sin if there is sin and even receive church discipline from the church. Elders are ideally plural in number in the church. In other words, there should be more than one. And this is, again, to acknowledge our fallenness. That our temptations of pride and power and the other temptations that come with us are, we're all susceptible to those temptations. And so to have each other to hold accountable is, is vital. And so for Harvest, we're going through a season, we're going to begin to um, go through this membership renewal time, and then we're going to move into a time of, of seeking um, more elders to serve in the church. So that's just by way of a warning or an announcement. I don't know what you want to take it as. Although we're thankful for elders and know we need elders in our church, we also need to say that elders are not the final authority of the church. And this is good because we've already established that elders are falling with the rest of us. The, con the congregation is also not the final authority. The church can be organized in such a way that there is accountability, transparency, well-designed leadership, and yet it can still have the same problems that every human society has. And so what makes the church different from any other society or community on earth? We are meant for something significant, a God-sized task. But as soon as we take it on, we're in trouble. We're sidetracked by our jealousies, our pride, our gossip, our deceit, and all the other things that beset us. How can we be any different? Ephesians 4, verse 15, helps put us on the right path. It says this, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Church, the only way forward is in Christ. We are incapable of making, of creating God's society on our own. So does that mean then, what should we do? Should we make Christ our model? Do we just imitate Christ exactly? The problem with this approach is that we can't do it. As hard as we try, we can't achieve Christ's likeness 
without Christ. Jesus understood this. He knew that we could not live as he lived. And so he died the death we deserved to take our sin to the grave with him. But that's not the end of the story. He died for us that he might live, that we might live. He came back to life. He put death to death and brought us to life with him. In the Gospel of John, it talks about our surrender to Christ being like someone who is born again. And here in Ephesians, we are so we are to so deeply immerse ourselves in Christ that we grow together in maturity. So really quickly, here are some takeaways. One, how do you and I truly become members of one another? How do we just, my, my urge would be to reflect on how can you serve and edify one another using the God, the gifts that God has given you. How do you put those to use in the church? Number two, when we think about the leadership of the church, this is a little bit more of a collective question. How can we as a church grow leaders who seek first Christ and his kingdom? And, and this is um, where I would like for us to think about the present. How do we think about growing leaders right now? But I'm also reminded we have the, the next generation and the generation to follow in the room. How can we as a church invest, even in the, the those who were just born, how are we going to invest in them so that they become the leaders, godly leaders of our church. Lastly, how will we seek to encourage others in Christ this week? So in the, the, the one before that, I'm having challenging you to think big picture, long term. And now we're, we're drawing this into all right, what are you going to do this week? How will you encourage others in harvest this week? I want to end with a quote from a German theologian by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. His name is a fun one to say. Like if you accidentally hit your thumb with a hammer, instead of saying a, a naughty word, you just say Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And, and you'll feel better. He wrote a book called Life Together, and he has a, a kind of an unusual way of communicating. He's, he's, a, he's an intense guy, but I think it's a really beautiful way of putting it. He says this, God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother, in the mouth of man. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again. When he becomes uncertain and discouraged, 
for by himself he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine work of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. The Christian life is not intended to be a solo life. It's hard in our world that drives us to individualism and to making decisions that are self-serving, to think in this way. So we have to kind of push against the pressure of the world to say, how will I be the, the voice of Christ in someone else's life this week and every week thereafter. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the church. But we also thank you that the church is not in our hands, that it is in your hands. And so, Father, as we talk about these issues of membership and leadership, we know that it is you who is knitting us together, who is joining us together as a body, who is bringing us together as family. And so, Father, would you show each of us the role we have to play in it? How can we give, invest in this body? What parts will we be in the body? Father, as we think about these things, we know that all of this is only made, made true because of Christ. We thank you for sending your son to die for us. We thank you for life in Christ. Father, I pray for each of us that we might dwell in Christ this week, but that we also might encourage one another that we might find ways to pray for one another, love one another well, encourage one another with, with Christ going forward, that we might be built up together as Christ's body. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.